The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Hey, Annabelle, um, just looking at this in the um, Gone by Lunchtime group chat, mm. and there's a message here from you that reads, cis white male, more like cuck white male, Toby is such a bedwetting sack of dicks. Did you mean to put that in the group chat? Um, no, I think I don't. I, may, I think I was hacked. Well, I'd just like to say, in my own defence, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again. At the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. That's some powerful shit. Kia ora tato. this is Gone by Lunchtime, called Tobia Ho. Uh, ben Thomas is opposite me, to my left is Annabelle Lee Mather, and making everything work is Samuel Kia ora koutou. Kia ora. Uh, thanks to spin-off members who keep this thing going. We can keep going more and better if you would like to sponsor us. Do get in touch, hit me up if you fancy being the sponsor of the spin-off podcast, Gone by Lunchtime. Bumper list of stuff to reel off today. Cinder Ardern's valedictory speech, the decision on COVID settings, the Greens and Cry Baby Gate. A swipe card slapped down for lobbyists. But first, three waters. Or not three waters, because three waters <laughs> no longer exists. What's three waters? Um, if you have a question about three waters, well, you'll get as a shrug, a kind of mm. gaze into the void. Also, another thing that doesn't exist anymore is co-governance. What's co-governance? What are you talking about? You sound hysterical. I've already had to take three reporters and shake them by their shoulders and <laughs> try and get them to snap out of it. Like <laughs> it's kind of every question on three waters. Don't understand what you're talking about. Could you please explain? Every question on co-governance, no such thing, mm. doesn't exist. These it's gone are just the way random of closing words. the gap, so. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. So it's 11 a.m. or it's shortly after 11 a.m. on Thursday as we speak. And by coincidence, Chris Hipkins and Kieran McAnulty, who is the Minister for Local Government, are standing in a field somewhere in the wider upper, announcing the changes to the artist formerly known as Three Waters. They're just having a general chat about improved water infrastructure service delivery. Affordable improved 
infrastructure relating to water programmers going Package. forward. It's like the they comprehensive found, and progressive affordable <laughs> water infrastructure. They searched all of Wellington for the most boring bureaucrat and tasked that person with coming up with a new name for the artist formerly known as Three Waters, and that was it. And what has changed? Well, the main change, as predicted by uh, the soothsayer, Patrick Smelly, business desk, is that four entities, not to be confused with, confused with the three waters, which are drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater, the four entities are now ten entities. And that is designed to retain the advantages of the original, which is to say the balance sheet is underpinned by the crown, there is an economy of scale and advantage in being bigger and um, there, but not as big as if there were four of them. The governance structure in the form of the regional representation groups, I think they're called, remains with uh, 50% mana whenua. Uh, and critically, it means there are a heap more spaces for, example, the mayors of the territorial authorities that are involved. Um, ben, you're, you've, you've got... I've got clients in the space. You clients in the space, just so need to, yep. you need to acknowledge Full that. disclosure but there. Is that a fair summary of the structure as you see it? We're just still reading through the sheets here. I may have missed some things, but is that, that That's what it seems to be. So it seems to be that instead of having um, these regional representative groups, which are at a sort of high level above the, you know, what we'd think of as the board of directors of um, or what will be the board of directors of these entities. Uh, the regional representative groups sort of provide some oversight. I think they have some feedback on the statements of intent, that kind of thing. Um, and they will move from, I think, the default under the old or the, the old new system. You know, these, these, these reforms were, were put into legislation in December last year. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've, we've gone back to the drawing board. Um, since the Prime Minister obviously can't, couldn't remember what Three Waters was, he saw this law and I was like, I, I, I don't know what this is, but have, has anyone thought about doing anything about pipes? <laughs> and so, uh, we need to do something about the water infrastructure in New Zealand. I think we should make it more affordable. And so, um, yeah, so instead of the default setting of, I think the, under that regime, there would be six uh, local government reps um, and the, the various constituent councils would get together and you know, vote on those or select them however they liked. And there'll be six iwi reps and the various iwi in the in the area would select those. Instead here, I think the idea is that every council, um, Hipkins said every mayor, but I think he means every council will have their own representative on that group. Um, so there will be that sort of local voice, which was one of the one of the big criticisms. It's designed to assuage the concern that it was expressed around large parts of the country, certainly during the uh, local government campaigns, that those who were involved in the ownership and uh, provision of those water services would no longer have those roles on those boards. And, I mean, if you were being cynical about it, you would say there were a lot of people who were saying, hey, what, how come I'm no longer involved in that? They were going to be squeezed out in these four mega entities. And so now there's going to be more meetings, more committees, <laughs> more boards. Um, Annabelle, what do you make of it all? It's also been kicked back in terms of timing to the middle of 2026. It's worth saying, and it's also worth saying, by the way, that it's very clear 
that the existing system, and almost nobody would argue with this, was unsustainable. It's very clear that a whole lot of the councils, if not all, were going to get into all sorts of trouble with either um, dysfunctional, uh, broken water infrastructures and or massive rises in rates to pay for what was required. Annabelle, do you think this is going to mollify the complainants? Do you think it's going to roll into the election as an issue? What's your hot take on this? Yes and no. I think that breaking it into 10 regional groups will um, quell the fears of a lot of people who feel that, you know, the, the the larger the grouping, the further away the decision-making comes from for the, the communities to whom these assets belong and they're, who, who they're going to serve. Um, in terms of what that means in, in, in terms of economy of scales, I'm not sure. Can the 10 work together to still buy the stuff that they, the pipes and the pumps and yeah. the bits and pieces they need at a good cost? I don't know. Um, there's still a lot of questions around the so-called co-governance part of it. There's no it, such thing as co-governance. Well, as it's presented, it doesn't appear to be co-governance. It looks like essentially Māori being appointed to an electoral college who or getting representation mm. on an electoral college that then decide who the, the actual board, board is yeah. that is going to govern these assets. So in that sense, I mean, I think pe- people will still purposely misinterpret it as some sort of Māori takeover and they'll keep kicking that can along. And that's a key question from the in terms of the political calculus, isn't it? ACT have been quick out of the traps with a press release headline, Māori Caucus 1, Chris Hipkins nil. So there's no question that that co-governance thorn is going to continue to be focused on by various uh, groups and parties. I suppose the hope, let's make water boring again, is, the, is that this becomes now a technical conversation, whether or not that... Can that happen, do you think, Ben? Or do you think this is going to be a lightning rod into the election? Look, you've got a party like ACT, which is determined to run on this, you know, so-called co-governance issue, hepua pua. Um, <coughs> Hipkins has been very much trying to dial it back. I th- look, I think Hipkins is right, and I think I've written columns about this, that co-governance has sort of assumed, you know, the, the, the phrase co-governance has assumed this mammoth proportion in the popular imagination, particularly of some conservative voters, that, you know, it, it actually isn't. You know, if you go to that... Um, it's come to be, and in fact, active sometimes described it as co-government, which, the, which it is not. Well, not just that, but, you know, if you go to this stop co-governance uh, guy, you know, who's been doing his public meetings where there's yeah. been a bit of frisson, m- most of his website doesn't talk about co-governance at all. He just uses co-governance as a kind of shorthand for the any appearance of Māori culture or people in public life. Right. And, uh, you know... I think Hipkins saying that this is not co-governance, I, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think there's a, a variety of different mechanisms for co-governance that have been done throughout the years. And having an oversight group, I think that is co-governance. Um, it's just not a particularly strong form of co-governance. Um, you know, the, the governance of those entities will be with the board, the management will be with professional managers, um, and, you know, some of the oversight capacity will will happen, will, you know, come from iwi. Um 
So, you know, I don't think it's a particularly strong case for saying co-governance doesn't exist in any form. I think it is co-governance, but it's it's a, it's a pretty weak form that I don't think anyone should be too worried about. It's a very, very weak form, and that's the irony of it, that it's being presented by some quarters as this, like, massive Māori overreach where, where we are going to have, like, ultimate control um, over these resources is is so not actually what it looks like on paper. Like, it literally looks like Māori uh, on an interviewing panel who gets to decide who's on the board. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the other thing to remember is, you know, in terms of the politics is, you know, how much has uh, McAnulty and Hipkins, how much have they closed the gap between the criticisms and, you know, what was the the reform that was passed late last year? They've closed it somewhat. So I, I think McAnulty said there will be more councils who are who are happy with who are happier with this situation. I think that's probably right. It's more about reducing the distance and reducing the anger and the opposition as opposed to actually just mm. you know fully backing down. And um, you know, so for instance, the Hawkes Bay. Uh, the Hawke's Bay councils, their preferred option was we should be allowed to organise amongst ourselves. We've already been doing it, three councils, mm. um, to amalgamate within ourselves on our own steam. And in this proposal, they would be doing that, but they'd also have Gisborne and Waidoa as well. And, you know, that's probably necessary because small councils like Waidoa, you know, do have that sort of, do have that sustainability issue in terms of their small rating bases. Um, you know, Gisborne's got to go somewhere, that sort of thing. So you're actually getting quite close to what a lot of these councils have already been proposing. Um, and so, you know, that that may take some of the heat out of the issue, but but it, it doesn't solve the fundamental problem, I guess, which, you know, which some people claim is the fundamental problem, which is we should be able to decide. Yeah, yeah, and and they get a bit more of that decision roll back is 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 the first point. The other point that is worth making was that the four entities did seem a bit weird in terms of the way they were drawn on the map. Always difficult in a country that doesn't have a state based system. But for example, I spent some time in Nelson during the local election campaign, and their entity they were you know ripped right through Nelson up the. <laughs> Hikarangi subduction zone into the into the, the the east of the North Island, and it did seem pretty weird for a for a water infrastructure project. So, and and these new bodies more they they essentially mimic or they essentially the boundaries are yeah. drawn along regional council lines with a few regional councils kind of chucked together. Let's yeah. talk about one of the big stories of last week: Annabelle Jacinda Ardern's last appearance. Certainly, as an MP in Parliament, she's been keeping away from the place since her resignation in the middle of January. Hasn't appeared in the House at all, I think, until she did a valedictory last week. Did you watch? I did. Yeah, I caught up with it later on. What did you make of it? Um, I thought it was sort of like quintessential. Jacinda Ardern oratory, you mm. know, a reminder of how she was able to capture people's hearts and, and minds um, back in 2020 and in, and in 2017. You know, it was personal, it felt intimate, 
um, it was self-deprecating. I thought it was a, a wonderful speech and I couldn't help but... Th- and I was watching very closely to see how it was being received by Christopher Luxon and the other politicians that mm. were in the house when it was being delivered and I saw them chuckle and smile a couple of times. I can't help but think that, you know, in a, in a decade's time, um, our teenagers... Oh, kids will look back and they will wonder why we judged her so harshly at this moment in time. It was a uh, impressive peroration. Is that the right word? Peroration? The end bit. It's got to be the right word for something. Uh, I cannot determine what will define my time in this place, but I do hope I've demonstrated something else entirely, that I can be that you can be anxious, sensitive, kind, that you can wear your heart on the sleeve, you can be a mother or not, next Mormon or not, a nerd, a crier, a hugger. You can be all of those things, and not only can you be here, you can lead. She read it more, more powerfully than that. Um, I was I was when she did I, it. I thought so too. You. I was, uh, you, you can really say, as, as the first... Um, uh, late millennial prime minister, you can uh, you can definitely see somebody who's like you know seen the Breakfast Club a lot from an early age. <laughs> I, 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 w- I watched it in the I was in the press gallery in the house watching oh, it. Oh, vibes! And um, you're right, Christopher Luxon was being very generous and and natural, you know, just mm. sort of laughing and 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 very positive. As was most of the house, David Seymour wasn't there. He had headed off on a tour of the regions already, prearranged. He said. Um, and I tell you, the one person who was slumped at the back of the house, looking like a like a kind of cool kid on the back of the school bus, was Ben Uffendale. No, not Ben Uffendale. Sam Uffendale. Sorry, Ben. Anyway, what did you think, uh, Ben? Sam Thomas. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I I didn't think it so. You know, it didn't reach you know his sort of lofty rhetorical heights. Probably a good thing. Made it by design. Well, also I think that Ardern has always been, uh, you know, pretty admirably so. Uh, she's found it harder to sing her own praises than other people's. You know, fundamentally, you know, Ardern is an extremely nice, extremely likable person. And so there's no surprise that, you know, Luxon and other MPs, you know, especially removed from that kind of competitiveness over, you know, the general election, would be would have very warm feeling towards her because you know I mean fundamentally she's a very decent person yeah. who did a you know who did her very best in very trying circumstances mm. and in a lot of cases her very best was probably the the best that you could expect from anyone in the world mm. um, and you know I think Chris Hipkins sort of touched on this um, in an interview with Joe Moyer at Newsroom talking about how sort of it is becoming less and less common to see friendly relationships between, you know, MPs from opposing parties, uh, you know, when they leave the debating chamber. Mm. Um, you know, that was something that sort of uh, was was remarked on, uh, you know, the very good um, spin-off event that I think was released as a Gone by Lunchtime podcast mm. um, with Erica Sanford. The event. Claire, yeah, Chloe Swarbrick yeah, and yeah. Kerry Allen. Um you know, I think I think uh, women MPs still have a bit more of a sense of camaraderie, but uh, you know because they they, they brought, you know and, and other groups who sort of you know Parliament is not necessarily still designed for them. Yeah, um, they're probably also less likely to be uh, vitriolic in their rhetoric in the house. <laughs> I think is the yeah. other part of that. Yeah, and and the thing is, it sh- it shouldn't be a surprise, you know, that the opposition you know wish wish are doing well. 
and you know, um, and and it shouldn't be unusual, um, and and you know, I, I, and I think on the whole it's still not. Um, but yeah, it's although to, although it is it is a quite uh, special New Zealand thing. I think it's not the case in every country. And I know talking to some people who'd watched it for, who, who who were in New Zealand from abroad, and they were saying that it was very you know. Uplifting to see all the hugging at the end mm. and the wires and all that sort of stuff, and everyone is basically on board, which is something to uh, yeah, and and, and yeah, I, and I think it is very important that we we often when we talk about polarization in New Zealand, you know, we talk about internet weirdos a lot, but we don't talk about our politicians who actually, on the whole, do a good job of resisting those sort of elements. I think. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Uh, the COVID settings were unchanged in Cabinet on Monday, announcement we were expecting. Quite amusingly, Chris Hipkins forgot to mention it. <laughs> Everyone was waiting for it. And um, uh, Craig McGulloch from RNZ had to say, uh, did you make a call? He went, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, that's right, we did. We're leaving them. And the decision was this is uh, about uh, mask wearing in, in health environments, but it was one that seemed to be in the balance um, and it sounds as though it's one that perhaps Cabinet had a genuine vote on to get which way they wanted to go. I'd, I'd, I'd like to find out more, but unfortunately Stuart Nash's donors are no longer available to <laughs> let us know how it goes down there. Yeah. Uh, so two months they're going to review the settings and then look at potentially, what's it called, uh, test to release, which sounds like a fishing rule, but mm. the idea is that if you get a positive, a negative rat test uh, after five days or so, that then you're back out there. What do you reckon, Annabelle? You have strong feelings on this? It, um, it seems like that's the way they need to, they want to move and keeping with much of the, wor the world, but they're not quite ready to do it. Well, I think that most ordinary people would be totally okay that the that the settings are remaining in place, that the seven-day isolation remains in place, and understandably because COVID was the sixth leading causes of death yep. in, in New Zealand last year, and nobody really wants to get COVID, particularly when they know that the health system is already struggling to keep up. I think the only people that are really outspokenly upset about it are business owners and Luxon and I think this is again going to be one of those issues where Luxon finds himself out of step with the rest of the country. It's an interesting one though isn't it because Luxon said that he felt better after he had COVID a month or so ago and could have gone back out but in a, in a, he's actually not on, on roughly the same page as some of the COVID modellers, Dion O'Neill for example said that is that they would like to see a test and release with a minimum of five days. But as he explained it to me, there are a lot of people currently who are who are not infectious, who are remaining mm. in isolation, but then there are also people who get out of isolation while still infectious. So what they'd like to see, 
and they think this would result in more people in the workforce, is a, a, a minimum of five and a maximum of ten. But you can, if you if you take a robust test and you're negative after five days, then back you go. Yeah, and that, I mean that seems to make more sense, right? The compliance with the mandatory isolation period is is ironically completely voluntary right now, right? It's well, it's you, you know. I'm sure there are people with COVID in the supermarket. We're not aware of anyone home. enforcing the rule, but it is the, it is still the rule. Yeah. still the requirement. It is the requirement, but you know, I think the estimates are that you know anywhere between sort of fifty and seventy percent of the people yep. who actually have COVID are you know are reporting it, and and others may not be testing for may fear not be that aware. they test positive. Yeah, yep. and I mean, I mean, look, I think it makes sense. You, what you're trying to do is. Is reduce the transmissibility while having you know something approaching normal life, um, and and yeah, that's right. Keeping people if, if they remain infectious for longer, you keep them in, in isolation for longer. Um, I you know yeah I, th- I, I yeah I don't think it'll move votes either way in the sense that I think anyone who's really hit up about it, apart from employers, is probably you know, making their own rules anyway. Um, so, you know. It's interesting, isn't it, that it wasn't that long ago that it seems that we were hanging on every decision about COVID settings mm. so tensely. And, yeah, in a way, this one, which was Chris Hipkins forgot, uh, forgot to announce it in the <laughs> post I think what history shows us, too, is when you start to tutu with the rules and they start to become unclear, that's when problems happen, like yep. when we're moving between... Yep. The traffic like system. Step and all three, of that. no, level yeah. three, step two. That was a good one. I mean, the other thing is as we head into winter, I think that you know protecting yeah, right. the health that's system right. makes sense. And, and if everybody's singing off the same seven day song sheet for the next two months, it's not. And I, I think, think that's the other reason that. that that two months kind of extension is a very good idea because it will allow us to see whether or not winter brings a kind of surging cases or whatever. Which you would expect. Let's um, move on. We're doing quite well, actually. We're ripping through it today, uh, it seems to me. Let, let's move to the, uh, I suppose, <laughs> the, the comic relief of recent times in Parliament, certainly in terms of the scene, which involved a group chat message sent by Elizabeth Kitty, the Green MP, to an unknown group that referred to Chloe Swarbrick, another Green MP's bill being going through Parliament and her own private member's bill not being drawn, bemoaned that and then appeared to... Uh, bemoaned it not not because not because one bill was more worthy than the other, but, but because, because list ranking was happening with the Greens and so Chloe Swarbrick was getting more attention. Because the Byzantine process of the Green list... <laughs> <laughs> selection is underway at the moment, which means that they've published a provisional list. I'm not sure what they call it exactly. And then that list goes back to the membership. I think that's with them with them now or soon. Uh, an interesting thing that is different this year, just as a sidebar, is that Green members, I'm told, are able to just tick the whole thing off rather than oh. having to, which may or may not move uh, move a... Make, make people less inclined to shuffle the list. But anyway, we'll see. Yeah. But but yes, basically, and we've seen that a, a few times. Chloe Swarbrick actually went down the list, sort of a few, quite a few spots last time. Uh, so 
Chloe Swarbrick was then apparently described as a crybaby in the next message. Although this, this was at the same, same time that she was delivering a stirring speech in the very house where her right. voice was kind of right. faltering and, and a little the, bit the, with the, the emotion. The of, critical yeah. thing is that in the very top of the frame on Parliament TV coverage, you could see Golriz Garaman and Julian Genta receiving these messages <laughs> were not yeah. intended for the group. And it was just an absolutely all-timer of frame-by-frame frame analysis looking at those. Golarus gave one of the great performances of New Zealand dramas. Like, she sort of, the, the hands over the mouth. The hand, the, it was a hand clap over the yeah, mouth. The, the, just, just the bulging eyes, the sort of fainting backwards, yeah. falling over two rows of parliamentary seats. I mean, it was full method. I don't think there's any suggestion she was performing. Oh, no, 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 not at all. No, it couldn't have been. You did not need to hear what they were saying. If I, if no. I had, if I had seen a text like that sent an error to one of my group chats, I would have literally exploded. Yeah. So, in a way, I admire her restraint. You would have been audible through all ten I three did, waters. I only things. read about it in the Herald, and I was like laughing for twenty four <laughs> hours. I was. It was like that scene off The Simpsons, you know, where like um, Mr. Burns witnesses some act of cruelty, and then there's just a montage of him throughout the next day laughing in different scenes where he is, and then he's like Smithers. I can't even remember why I was laughing, and then Smithers reminds him and then he laughs for another day and it's like every every time that that day whenever I sort of felt oh man today has been such a great day and I was like I was like why why do I have such a warm feeling of kind of joy and happiness and then I would remember the text again and just like just laugh joyously because <laughs> it just encapsulates so many great things about politics like Elizabeth Kitty Kitty She's currently ranked number four, right? Yeah. So there is no like there is no scenario if the Greens get five percent or more where she would have been in danger of missing out on being in Parliament. Yeah. And if they didn't get five percent, she would need Chloe Swarbrick to win Auckland Central with her high profile and popularity. But nonetheless, all she could think of was why is this little upstart crybaby getting to talk in Parliament? Parliament TV, of course, being viewed by some total of about 30 people <laughs> over the week. Like, so this was I think after Dern's valedictory. So all of Parliament was drinking somewhere else except for the poor few souls who were stuck in Parliament. And then, and it would have gone unnoticed, of course, had it not, Annabelle, been leaked, which gives it the extra kind of element. Mm. And, you know, you could say which is the greater crime, the, the putting it in the wrong chat message or somebody knowing that this presumably would have a detrimental effect on Elizabeth Ketekere decided to provide this information to Radio New Zealand who, uh, who, who then went ahead and reported it. I mean, it's is it a big deal or is this really just a kind of uh, uh, a comedy sideshow? It's not a big deal, but it kind of is a big deal. Oh. Like, who hasn't, like, sent an unflattering message on the wrong Facebook thread 
personally, I actually haven't. No, but haven't, I know no. people that have. <laughs> I've, heard I've actually people, received I've one. heard of people who have wrote, written things critically about people and then accidentally sent it to the person they're writing critically about. Again, I've never done that, I've but I've that heard of it happen. I've had that happen to me. Yeah. I've had that happen. You've had that happen to me. You've yeah. received an email saying. Yeah, they sent that photo. They said something about me and then they sent the like the video clip from that horror movie Annabelle about the. the <laughs> <laughs> What did they say? I can't remember, but it was very funny, and then I messaged them back, and it was a bit awkward for about a year, but it's fine. But, you know, these things happen, and certainly it has not been a mana-enhancing situation for Elizabeth Kitty, who, you know, kind of had a meteoric rise through the ranks, didn't she? I think what is concerning, I don't think it means that there's going to be a coup with Ricardo and Elizabeth before the election or any of this other stuff that's being rumoured. However, I do think that it shows that there's resentment and ill-discipline kind of permeating through the ranks of the Greens that you would leak this Mm. to RNZ, and I think that is a little bit concerning. And certainly some schadenfreude around the traps in terms of the Greens who sometimes try to present a wholesome, holier-than-thou, united team image. Whenever the centre-right leaps on issues like this, um, people on the left sometimes complain and say, oh, you're just, you're just happy because you want to believe that the left is every bit as venal and self-interested and awful as you. And we do, and it's true, and in this case it's very funny. So <laughs> it's like... <laughs> the, um, you know, I mean, the, the Herald, there, there was a report, I, I actually I don't know if it was even reported, I know that one of the press gallery journalists tweeted it uh, last year, mm. there was uh, some kind of complaint about Elizabeth Kitty Kitty or, or, an, or an altercation with staff that made it out to the press. Um, Thomas Coughlin wrote a story sort of suggesting that there was a kind of history of infractions there. So it, it does look like, you know, this real bad botch up was the opportunity to kind of pull her into line and sort of, you know, make a make a statement about what's a, perceived as in, her behaviour. Internal green probe inquiry underway. <laughs> There's all a royal can, commission into we the can ask baby for issue. Is that the full chat logs are released. <laughs> you know, in the interests of democracy and transparency, we ask for only that. Speaking of which, last <laughs> subject. You got something else to add there, Ben? You look like you're going to relate one of your own experiences. Oh, well, I, I was just going to say, you know, like I, I had a text mishap that same day because I had to I'd go pick up a car, my car, mm. and I got a thing saying, oh, you know, the rego's all ready. You can come and pick it up this afternoon. And I said, hey, thanks heaps. And then I was also having another conversation about the nature of Passover, which was coming up mm. uh, on on Good Friday, and. Um, I and I said, you know, is matzah the crackers to the car dealer? Hmm. You know, but see, this is the thing: misdirected texts. You don't have to worry about them if you're pure of heart, yes. because it's just going to be it's, it's just going to be a non sequitur about Jewish holiday treats. It's just going to be it's, you know, <laughs> it's just going to be a wholesome it's, interest. It's it's only it's in only cultural practices. Yeah, when when the misdirected texts open up a mirror to mm. your soul, mm. you know that's. You're going to make sure it's tidy. I'm often sending the wrong person, hey, just checking in to see how you are, texts, you know, just like to (laughs) whole of the phone book. Let's talk about the last thing on our list, lobbyists, of which you in some ways are one, Ben. Yeah, no, no, no. Capital, the firm um, I'm a co-owner of, um, we're part of that, uh, the Guy and Espinner expose. Yeah, you're exposed. For sure. Yeah. Um, And the... 
unexpectedly, I think, Chris Hipkins announced the Monday before last, was it, that there would be a series of measures introduced to deal with the scourge, he didn't use that word, of lobbyists in New Zealand, but definitely as a response to the guy in Espinosa series and probably, I think it's safe to say, in part prompted also by the controversy surrounding Mr Stuart Nash, Mr Stuart Roosevelt Nash, uh, and which kind of, I think it's fair to say, in the public mind probably became a little bit mixed together in terms of kind of breaches of basic expectations and so on. The measures, there's going to be a review into lobbying stuff, but that's going to be, that's not going to come back till next year. So there's a policy review. A look there at seems policy. to be, yeah, just some, as, some just kind as of task yeah. with looking at it. But three kind of things in the interim. Let's see if I can remember them. The key one is the removal of the swipe cards, <laughs> which I want to talk about. Uh, also, there was some assistance for the lobbyists to get together and write their own code of conduct. Is that underway, Ben? Have you how many how many Zoom hooies have you been on so far discussing uh, oh, drafting look, a code of conduct? Have you? Is I, it underway? Look, I, I know that people are sort of discussing it informally. Are they? Okay, all right, yeah. okay. And the last one, shit, what was the last one? Can I, oh, the last one was, could you please read the cabinet manual, <laughs> basically, to members of cabinet and project forward in your mind the possibility that you could become a lobbyist or something, something like that. Anyway, they were, they were, they were uh, pretty piecemeal. What do you reckon, Annabelle? Um, I want to ask you about swipe cards in a second, Ben. But Annabelle, overall, wet bus ticket, meaningful? No, I don't think it's particularly meaningful. I think it was smart that Hipkins looked like he was taking swift action on it. Uh -huh. I think he's operating a pretty high trust model by allowing, you know, the lobbyists themselves to come up with their own standards and, I don't know, it's sort of part of the whole MO of this government who prefer to review than actually do. But I think the most important thing that people will be waiting to see, probably not the average Joe, but people who are interested in this, mm. is the restriction of trade being applied to people moving between lobbying and parliament and vice versa. In the form of a stand-down period. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that seems like a, a big one. The, the the register is the other one that's talked about. Ben? M yeah, m most countries have those. Um, and it wouldn't be Australia... Yeah, I mean, I think you you could have a blanket prohibition on ministers going straight into it. Um, MPs don't really have access to that much special information. Staffers... Just just threads. Sta sta staffers and officials, you'd probably want to stand down period for areas they were involved in. Yeah. So, you know, which... I mean, we could just import uh, uh, the, the Australian model, probably. The, the, the point that Max Rashbrook made is that, you know, the, if that's sort of agreed, why not? crack on with it. Chris Hipkins was probably uh, pushing it a little bit when he decided to take a swipe at National for uh, having chiefs of staff that had moved <laughs> from lobbying, <laughs> given the the history of this this Labour government and, that, and, and at least two examples. But anyway, Ben, what everybody wants to know is, do you or have you ever, as a lobbyist, held a swipe card to the sanctified grounds of Parliament? I've never had a parliamentary swipe card. Um, I Except when you're a parliamentary staffer. Oh, yeah, when I was a staffer, obviously. Um, I, I probably remembered to bring it about 90% of the time. Um, so these, these swipe cards and the list of people who have them are everywhere from various 
business delegates, um, you know, and, and people who do a sort of a lobbying function, um, you know, unionists, uh, big corporates, and a, a few of the people that are sort of identified as third-party lobbyists. Yeah. I, I've never had one. Um, I was never sort of motivated to get one. Well, you, you have to get somebody within the building to sponsor you to have it. But it doesn't – I think it's – And an MP once ran, ran that thought past well, you, it, Yeah, so the, what it, it gets you into the common areas, which is like it gets you through security. So it's, you know, it's probably helpful if you're a terrorist. Uh, <laughs> and you, or you, you know, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't mind sort of lining up, you know, and, and, and putting my lighter and phone in a, you know, uh, tray. Um it gets you into the cafe. When I worked in Parliament, I used to see some of the people with these cards, and they'd just sort of be sitting by themselves, you know, on the the, the one table at Copperfields, the cafe that was sort of outside the cafe proper and next to the bridge that all the politicians go over before the house, and sort of just sitting there by themselves, sort of looking up, hopefully hoping to catch someone's eye, and and it reminded me way too much of like my first year at university. I was like, it just seems kind of sad. Um, so no, I, I never, I never got one of those cards. I, as you, as you foreshadowed, I was offered one once. Um, I was visiting an MP, uh, and he asked whether I had one of the cards, and I, I said no, I didn't. It wasn't really something I was interested in, and he arranged for his. He said no, no. Well, it makes things a lot easier, and he arranged for his EA to send me a form, which I think I might have printed out and then left on my desk for about three months. And, didn't fill out. And then Todd Barclay had to resign as an MP. <laughs> and so, so it all became well, a bit of material. Well, that, see, because in a way, that's the thing that makes me more squeamish than, because clearly, the in, in practical terms, as you say, the swipe card, that particular version of swipe card offers you almost nothing beyond not having to put your bag through a scanner. But I don't like the idea of MPs being able to sponsor a lobbyist to do it and therefore having that relation. I just don't like it. It just makes me kind of – sends a shiver down my spine. But otherwise, it's an it's an opportunity for someone to impress people. It's like putting a Koru card around your briefcase or something, right? Like it's designed – the, the only other advantage that I can see is being able to say, say to a client, say one from offshore, that, look, I've got a swipe card to the ground. Oh, yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, here's my, and here's like, my pass. Yeah. You know? I'll meet you on the other side of security. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you leave yeah. your clients yeah. going through and you're like, yeah. see you, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, phone me when you get get through. Like, I, it was, so, I mean, it doesn't even make sense, right? But uh, one thing that I have noticed, I you know, I, I don't, I, they publish this list very occasionally. It sort of comes, people remember it exists and then they'll publish, publish it as a lobbyist list. Yeah. My observation is that the people who have these cards, there's a core cadre of people who sort of move from, job to job, do government affairs for a big company, they move to another big company, move to another big company, and they, they have the card all the way through, you know, for decades. And I think that, I, th I honestly think it's more a function of these, they're, they're just sort of part of the furniture, you know, they get invited to the drinks and stuff, and so they're like, I oh, know, we always see this person around, so, you know, and and it doesn't necessarily correlate with who you might think of the more, you know, you know the, the busier lobbyists anyway, but... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, I, 
you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable, probably a good idea to get rid of the swipe cards. It kind of reminds me of people in the 80s and 90s who used to try and do humble brags by, like, marching around Wellington with um, with their briefcases with all the parliamentary stickers on it. Do you remember how you used to get a parliamentary sticker oh, when yeah. you'd go through? <laughs> and people who oh, were yeah. trying to, like, mana vibes would, like, keep all the stickers <laughs> on and they'd, like, trot around with their briefcase with, like, 50 crusty old parliamentary stickers and you were... <laughs> Knowing that you were meant to be impressed by how stickery oh, their briefcases were. I think that must be the Prime were. Minister when you see all those stickers yeah. on those bags. Hey, let's go. But wait, tomorrow is six months until Election Day. Are you excited, Annabelle? No, I'm not. I'm exhausted. Ben, call an early one, in my opinion. Yeah, let's yeah. just do yeah. it now. Let's go early. Right. Let's go this let's weekend. Go early. We do it straight. Budget, budget. Is, is, is Chris Hipkins afraid? Is he scared? <laughs> is he too scared to call an early election? <laughs> okay, we'll be back with an emergency pod on the snap election very shortly. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Annabelle. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, members. And thanks to you, listeners. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.